everybody welcome back to another edition of bavarian podcast works this is chuck smith and i'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up and guess what we've got a special guest on the show given all of the news and the special occasion that we had the champions league draw the transfer deadline and pure chaos going on at bfw we have i need no name with us i need no name how are you doing i know you have been following all of this uh you probably haven't drank as much coffee as i have but uh, I know you're being run ragged nonetheless. How's it going? Uh, it's going, I guess it's going well. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't want to, I don't want to say anything. I just want to get into it. So like, yeah. I mean, let's, let's group, just get right, right to it. Then. Yeah. Let's I, talk about the group, right? Yeah. 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 So obviously if you've been following on BFW, Bayern Munich's Champions League draw was announced. They will be in group A and they have a, a fun top pairing in that group. I will say that Bayern will be grouped with Manchester United. Copenhagen and Galatasaray. I need no name. First impression. What did you think of that draw? I love it because first of all, I have a cousin who is a diehard Manchester United fan. And I am <laughs> as long as we win, I am going to gloat in his face whenever we meet him. Because there is nothing better in life than gloating in the face of a Manchester United fan. That's what they were made <laughs> for. Right. And on the other hand, if somehow Thomas Tuchel does not manage to win them, I think that will crush any modicum of faith this fan base has in him, or at least the board has in him, because, you know, losing to Eric Ten Hag's Man United, that is not acceptable. I mean, it's just, they're not that great a team. And Bayern Munich, even in its current state, we should be, well, we should be topping this group, shouldn't we? Oh, we'll, absolutely. Now, the funny thing about this is I know fans go one way or the other on this. They either want the toughest draw possible to build up that hard skin that you need to go longer in the Champions League, or you want an easy draw so you just get through. This season, I'm in the mindset that the easy draw is the way to go. I don't like the way that Bayern is playing right now. I think they need some time to really get on the same page. So getting Man United, getting Copenhagen, Kaladasarai, I was a-okay with all of that. I don't fear Man United at all. I know you have your own reasons, like you just stated, <laughs> but this is definitely a, an advantageous draw for Bayern Munich. I think they needed something like this to, to get that big game atmosphere, but to also be able to work on the things and figure out the lineup combinations that they haven't quite gotten right just yet. Do you think this is going to allow Tuchel and Bayern, that entire roster of players, to get sorted out in that big game atmosphere on the big stage, how do you think Bayern's going to fare when they do square off against United? Well, the way I think about this is that regardless of what happens against the United in, in the United games, what is important here is that we should win against Copenhagen and Galatasaray, irregardless of what Tuchel decides to do. And therefore, when Tuchel inevitably gets sacked, in October or November or whatever, that means that the next coach who comes in, he should also be able to win against them. And therefore, that more or less guarantees a top two finish, no matter what Bayern Munich do in this group, simply on the basis of our quality. That gives us a good, stable situation to go and improve ourselves so that we can actually tackle the major knockout games coming in the second half of the season. Because as far as I'm concerned, 
the group stage is just all about qualifying for the round of 16. It doesn't necessarily matter. It's good for bragging rights, but it doesn't necessarily matter finishing top of the group. Because you look at last season, Inter finished behind us and they got such an easy path to the Champions League final, whereas we got Manchester City and PSG. So it's all about really getting the combinations right. And this is the perfect type of group, in my opinion, because it gives us one difficult fixture and two more relatively, I wouldn't say easy because this is the Champions League. You can't take anything for granted. I mean, like Barcelona, you remember what happened to them last year? They took a lot for granted. And oh my goodness. But you can assume Bayern Munich will qualify from this group. And because of that assumption, we can do a lot with this team because in the end, I think the Bundesliga has enough good teams in it to challenge us regardless of who we got in the Champions League groups. It does not necessarily matter that we did not get two or three big teams in the group stage already. It doesn't, like the team doesn't need to be challenged that much, you know? Yeah, I totally agree with that. I don't want to downplay Copenhagen Galatasaray because they are quality teams in their own right. But when compared against a club like Bayern Munich, it will allow Thomas Tuchel to mess with his combinations, to mix some things up, perhaps even get some younger players more time so that they are getting the experience of the bright lights of the Champions League without necessarily having to be thrown into the deep waters against a team like Manchester United. So I'm all about this group. I think it was an excellent draw for Bayern Munich. I think it absolutely will give Tuchel flexibility. And whether that means dealing with injuries, whether it means trying people out at new positions, whether it means integrating new players who might just be arriving on transfers, uh, Tuchel is going to have the ability to mix and match as he pleases and hopefully figure it out. Because right now, I don't think he's figured out anything with this lineup uh, and with some of the moves that might be going down, and we'll touch on those later, I think it's going to be an even bigger period of experimentation for this club. And I, I don't know that the fan base necessarily has the patience to deal with that. And while we're taking a look at this, I need no name. We're not going to go through all of the groups because everyone can access those. Mm-hmm. But I did want to just touch on some of the Bundesliga draws that are out there. Yeah. And just get a quick take from you on some of these and we'll we'll start with group c because this is an interesting one to me uh union berlin is matched with napoli real madrid and braga i think this is a very good draw for union berlin and you might think i'm crazy saying that but i think that they can sneak up on napoli i know that if you just looked at pure talent union berlin was probably third in this group but they are a pesky side and i would not be shocked if they finished second what did you think about the draw for them you know I'm actually, like, my first impression of the draw was poor Union Berlin. They really got screwed. (laughs) But, but looking at it from a more objective perspective, like, the three teams that they got, Napoli, Real Madrid, and Braga, all three of them will sort of try to play into Union's hands. They will let Union sit back and counterattack them, which is the type of football that Union really do excel at. Mm -hmm. That is why I think that there is a decent chance here that Union either managed to sneak into second spot by a few good wins against Napoli or Real Madrid at their own home ground. I don't expect them to go to like the Bernabeu and win, but they may get those wins. And on top of that, if not that, they have a very good chance of at least finishing in third place and getting to the Europa League, where I think they could be very good this season because they did prove that they have some genuine talent on that squad 
that can deal with the rigors of um playing every single like twice a week in Europe, which is something that always is a problem for these smaller teams with smaller budgets when they German teams that when they get into the Champions League or European football for the first time. So Union, I'm sort of optimistic for them. Now, again, this is a German team in the Champions League. <laughs> Optimism is usually misplaced, but let's see. Let's see what happens. Exactly. And 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 I'm genuinely excited to see how they do. On the flip side of that, you have Group F, which yeah, is an absolute exactly. nightmare for Dortmund. Uh, PSG, oh, Dortmund, AC Milan, and Newcastle. That is, in my mind, the group of depth for this Champions League. I don't know who will come out of that. It's, in my mind, quite a few clubs that are very hard to like. So uh, I kind of want to see them beat each other up. What was your first impression there? Well, my first impression was almost the same as Watzke's. If you watch the live stream, Watzke was literally like he looked dead inside when those draws were announced. <laughs> he looked like he was because they they did they announce the signing of Fulkrug today. Nicholas Fulkrug is not the signing you make when you're going to go up against Paris Saint-Germain, AC Milan and Newcastle. I mean, goodness, two two state-run oil clubs and AC Milan. Like what is going on here? Who hates Dortmund? Like, it really just says, it, the group name says it already. Group F, it's like, press F to pay respects. Because Dortmund <laughs> are done. They are, like, there is genuine doubt whether they can even make the Europa League from this group. Because they don't play good football. They might scrape a few wins at their home ground. But God knows what they'll do against these teams away from home. And, like, the thing about Dortmund is that they're facing teams that are relatively inconsistent as well. So there is a chance that they could scrape through, but I would say the chances are less than 50% that they make it into the top two of this group, which is quite unfortunate for the Bundesliga because Dortmund are one of the better teams in the competition, in my opinion. Yeah, this is it's very interesting. And the possible addition of Fulkrug, which is I don't believe it's when official the timing we're recording this, but it was rumored to be a done yeah. deal, at least reported by Florian Plettenberg. A lot of people are, are not sure about why Dortmund would make that move. But to me, I think when I look at their team, they don't have that bona fide finisher. And I know that a lot of people looked at Sebastian Haller as someone that could potentially fill that role. I'm not seeing it from him right now. And I know he's got a, you know, obviously has had a long road in his recovery. And there's nothing to say that he can't get back to where he was. But when you're just looking for someone to be efficient in front of the net, who might be able to capitalize on the disruption that could be caused around him by some of the newer additions that they have, like Kareem Adeyemi or even Danielle Malin. When I think about Dortmund, I think they want to try and model how Bayern Munich was playing in the Lewandowski era when you just have wings trying to break everyone down and feed into the central attacking position there at striker. I don't know if it'll be successful, but I think it was worth a flyer for Dortmund. I don't like their chances in this group. I have a bad feeling that Newcastle and PSG are coming out of that, and I will not be happy about that. Finally, the last German team in the competition uh, in Group G, Arbe Leipzig, once again, is going to have to deal with Man City. Not a great matchup for them. They are also grouped with Young Boys and Servena Zvezda, which I'm sure I butchered because uh, you get me into the Eastern European names and I'm a mess, but... Arbe Leipzig, I believe, has enough talent to compete with Man City, but ultimately City is just that much better. I'm guessing you don't like Arbe Leipzig's chances in this group. Uh, no, because look, 
Trevenna Zvezda, also known as Red Star, which I guess you should call them Red Star. If you yeah, it makes a lot money. easier for me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, Young Boys and Trevenna Zvezda shouldn't Leipzig take enough points from these two to make it at least second in the group? Like, oh, yeah, expecting... they will definitely yeah. get there. Yeah, sure. so that's more than enough, right? You're not expecting them to top the group. They could even, depending on how the schedule ends up, and just for full disclosure, we are literally recording this seconds after the group stage draw just concluded. Like We don't even know who's won the awards or anything after the thing. I believe Miroslav closed the one the UEFA President's Award or something. I just saw it on Twitter. But other than that, we don't know anything. So depending on the schedule, for example, if Leipzig versus Man City is near the beginning and the end of the group stage, there is a chance that by the end, when Pep has already secured qualification, he might rest his players, rotate his 11 against Leipzig, and that might even give them a chance to make a draw or even a win. Because let's not forget this, against Man City last season, in the knockouts, the second leg was a complete disaster for them in the Etihad, but the first leg at home, they actually did manage to draw them, and they did not play that poorly, at least in the second half, in my opinion. They could have even won that game. So Leipzig, I would say that they got a similar group, in my opinion, to Man, sorry, to Bayern Munich, but from the opposite perspective, where Bayern Munich are the undisputed, uh, let's say, favorites to go through, Leipzig are a team that probably won't go through, but from Manchester City's perspective, they hold the same position as what Manchester United would be for Bayern Munich. A very stern test that would allow them to, you know, just test out some the direction of the team at the moment, while also being not that much of a challenge in the overall, how should I say, in the overall scheme of things. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. And I would expect them to finish second. I, I do think Leipzig is always capable of dropping an unexpected game against the lesser opponent. So I, I do think that they will get through. I, I just think there is a bit of psychological damage that can happen to a team like Leipzig when they play up against a Man City side that is that could be. Now, you're right about some of the things Pep might do. But if City is really rolling and they're clicking on all cylinders, it could be difficult for Leipzig to hang. And in my estimation, if they get blown out, if if City is able to just go into Leipzig and smash them, I think it could have a devastating effect on that squad. But either way, I do expect them to get by. I, I'm really thinking that at least two of the German teams will get through. And I would expect that three of the four, Dortmund to me is the longest shot of them all. I'm very interested to see how Eden Terzic handles that group. But uh, overall, very happy with the draw for all the teams. Uh, I think it will be very exciting for the Bundesliga. Uh, there are definitely some key matchups that we're going to see that are outside the German teams, but we have plenty of time to talk about those because I need no name. There is a lot going on otherwise. There is oh, news yes. just dropping every five seconds, it seems like. We're even having trouble keeping up with it. We have six to seven people now writing as as these stories drop. Most importantly, uh, among all of the stories, uh, Bayern Munich has reportedly agreed to personal terms with Fulham's Jao Paulinha. And now there is even a report saying that the two clubs, Fulham and Bayern, have agreed on a fee, which would be 70 million euros plus bonuses for a player that some would argue Bayern Munich does not need at this point. So where are you coming out on this move? Do you like it? This is obviously something that that Tuchel wants. He's going to get that number six, that defensive midfielder that he's been going on and on about for weeks now. 
he got his wish. So now his roster is nearly complete. Uh, what do you think about the move? Well, after selling Pavard and probably Gravenberg, which we're going to get to, yeah, Bayern Munich actually have a net profit in this transfer window. So it doesn't make sense to me to come out of a transfer window where we have been desperate for adding quality to the squad when you could go out and get a guy who can genuinely take you to the next level. Now, I don't know if Joao Palinha is that guy. I have not been able to watch Fulham much, but most people on Twitter, and now this is Twitter, whatever, whatever, but people who actually watch a lot more football than me do say that Paulina is a pretty good player and he could solve or at least give Tuchel another option at defensive midfield, which is more than fair for me to spend a large amount of money on him because I would say that the risk is more or less minimal and he seems like a player who would probably still be able to do a job even if Tuchel gets sacked a month from now, you know? I don't think it's a very good policy to come to the very last day and pursue major targets like this. This is not the way Bayern Munich used to do business. You know, we never used to leave it to the final days of the season. Sorry, the um the final days of the transfer, transfer window. Yeah. And like the last time we saw did something like this, we ended up with Bunasar. So that that's <laughs> that 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 slightly concerns me. But on the other hand, it's obviously, it's very much exciting to, whenever you start bidding like 60, 70, 80 million euros on a player, a bit unfortunate that he is 28. So we have, if we do buy him, that will be like, what, almost 200 million euros spent on players who are in the absolute prime of their career. So buying Munich would be sending out a message that they are here to win now. No rebuilding, no adjustment period no breaking in period they are here to win the champions league today they are they want to be in wembley next season which sorry next not next season next year which well i respect it i want to see that as a fan i want to see that but you never know if this could come back and backfire on us when we are one or two years down the line and these players are not exactly performing anymore despite our insane outlay on them will we have the funds to replace them yeah i kind of fall in a weird spot on this the money concerns me less than the actual fit. Now, I, I'm one of the few people that seemingly is out there that was okay with Bayern Munich's midfield in its current state. I guess uh, similar to Karl Heinz, Rumenega, and Uli, Uli Honus, I did not believe that, that a number six was needed. Now, I get that Tuchel wanted one. I get that the going rate, the transfer price is what it is. If you want to go out and get that kind of player, you have to pay it. My only reservation with this move as a whole if you spend that money now on a position that wasn't a desperate need at least in my eyes now i get it there are many many people out there smarter than me that are saying that this is a an absolute need you needed a number six tuchel needs this for his system it's the only way to move forward and i get that i worry that if it's not a great fit if he can't beat out joshua Kimmich or leon goretzka then you have this albatross of a price hanging over you that is going to take you away uh, from spending next summer on positions that you might need to fill then. Because if you remember, we do have these rumors about Alfonso Davies not quite being happy. You know that Serge Gnabry and Leroy Sané have uh, both been kicking the tires on a move as well. And quite frankly, with how the center back situation plays out, you don't know if Dio Upamakano or Matthijs De Ligt, if they're going to want to hang around Bayern Munich 
if Tuchel decides not to rotate and ultimately decides on going with two players for those two center back roles for the majority of the time. So I'm less concerned about how it affects this current group as to what it could do next season. I think for depth purposes, it makes total sense. I just don't like spending that much on a depth piece. So in my mind, when I when I look at the entire situation, this is a move Tuchel once made to take Leon Gretzka's job. And as you can imagine, this has been a hell of a day for Leon Gretzka, who also did not get called up to Germany. But as we said earlier, we will cover that in a different show. Uh, this reeks of Tuchel pushing the envelope, getting what he wants, and Byron using the money to get it. So overall, what do you want me to say on it? I, I guess well, I'm okay tell with me, it, but Tell me, let me ask ahead. you a question. How likely yeah. is it, do you think that we'll actually get him? I, I think it's going to happen. I think this this move is something that's that's going to go through. All indications point that the agreement has been reached that fell in between what Fulham wanted, which was about $80 million, and what Bayern was willing to pay, which was about 60 which if you look at the history of Bayern's transfers, it seems absurd that they would invest that kind of money into anyone who would not be a starter. So if I was Leon Gretzka, I wouldn't be feeling too good about my position on the squad right now. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that it's a little more, more dicey than you make it seem because we still have rumors that Fulham are searching for a replacement. And again, this is yeah. near the end of the transfer. And I think it closes tomorrow, tomorrow as of this yeah. of, of the time of this recording. So um, first of all, that's a very awkward time to close. Like, why is the Champions League draw today? It's usually, <laughs> right. it's usually a different Brutal. time, isn't it? Or is it? Anyway, that's why we have to record this today and get our podcast immediately outdated. But <laughs> uh, if if it happens, if it happens, he's definitely coming to be a striker. You don't spend that much money to be uh, like anyone who is not a starter in the midfield yeah. immediately. But like the way I see it, this might be like Tuchel's Javi Martinez moment. The moment where he pushes hard for a single player and maybe that player could be the missing link. Now, I'm not optimistic because he, I, you know what I think of Thomas Tuchel <laughs> and his tactics, but... Maybe, maybe he's the missing link and I'll give him the benefit of the doubt because he's not a bad player. And if he's not a bad player, even when Tuchel is gone, I'm sure a new coach will find some way to use him. And if not even that, then maybe sell him like we did with Saudi Omane, sell him to the Saudis for 60 million and get our money back. <laughs> maybe that, maybe like that will be our get out of jail free card. The thing that does make me wonder about this deal is that we are selling Ryan Gravenbush to finance it. What do you think of that? I, it, it's funny with Gravenberch because he is he has been a player who he wants to he wants to be on the field. He does not want to have a depth role on a roster. He he wants to be an important contributor. But one thing we have heard about him repeatedly from both Julian Nagelsmann and Thomas Tuchel is that he has some defensive deficiencies in his game. To me, I'm okay with letting him go, especially if the price is somewhere around the 30 million euro mark that we had heard about. Uh, Gravenberg has a lot of good qualities. You can see when he's on the pitch, he's composed, he's aggressive. He definitely excels in going forward, but there is something missing to his game that as fans or even observers, we haven't seen. And clearly what's going on at the training sessions has let people like Nagelsmann and Tuchel assess that he cannot play the kind of role that they need him to play, which seemingly would have to be deeper because they have so many other quote unquote attacking options. When you look at Byron's midfield and you look at Kimmich and the way that he allegedly wants to play, you look at Goretzka's box-to-box -box role, Limer's 
box to box role. It's too many of the same profile. I suppose that's why going out and getting a player like Paulina makes sense, but it also does make Graven Burke expendable. And if Byron can get that figure for him, if they can get 30 million euro from Liverpool to take an unhappy player off their roster, I, I think it's a deal that you have to make. I agree. And given that Gravenberg has already skipped training, which is the second player to do it this summer, I'm <laughs> yes. never like this yeah. never happens to Bayern Munich. And suddenly it's happening twice in one summer. What's going on behind the scenes? Maybe that's something we'll have to discuss later. But in his case, it's just a question of the profile, really. I think he fits Liverpool better because you look at reports, they say that Liverpool are looking for, they already have Wataru Endo as their number six. But mm-hmm. they are looking for Gravenberg because they think that he can play as a six or as an eight. And Liverpool generally play a 4-3-3 compared to Bayern Munich's 4-2-3-1. Mm-hmm. Gravenberg seems like a player who could be much better in a three-man midfield as compared to a two-man midfield. Right now, if you look at how he performs, and this is something that really confuses me about Gravenberg, I don't understand how he fits into a two-man midfield. He's not quite defensive enough to be a DM. He's not quite a real box-to-box, you know? He has Mm -hmm. some offensive flair, but he's not going to display someone like Jamal Muziala or Thomas Muller from the attacking midfield spot. So therefore, what role is left for him? Now, there is the idea that he can probably grow as a player, and that's maybe what Brazo had in mind for him when he first signed him, because the idea was that Union Nagelsmann would teach players and make them grow into roles that we could use. But that has just not happened. And instead, all that's happened is that he's been griping to the media. He's been extremely unhappy with his situation. And it's probably best for all parties involved that he leaves. The unfortunate thing about this is that with the transfer window at basically on the brink of closing, I think this gives Liverpool a decent amount of leverage to kind of lowball buying Munich. And I don't know what how much money we are actually going to get for him. Remember, Gravenbush was not inexpensive. Now, assuming that we basically got him and Matsrawi together in a joint deal, because as you might remember, they are both represented by the same agent, Rafaela Pimenta, who took over all of Mino Raiola's clients when Raiola passed away. So based so what happened was we got Matrami on a free, but Gravenberch was quite expensive. He got we paid almost thirty something million for him. So if we don't at least cover that much, um, this transfer goes down as a major flop. And well, I I don't know if I'm actually upset about Gravenberch's or what should I say, stay at Bayern Munich because as far as I feel that he was never really gonna succeed here, given the attitude problems that he showed. But on the other hand, I can obviously sympathize with his situation and what he feels he was owed because it's clear that during his when his signing was made, he was promised or he was made some guarantees of playing time, which is something that Brazo tends to do. He tends to guarantee players some degree of playing time to get them to sign on and then they come and then they see that the reality is very different. So I do feel a little bad for him, but I don't like I almost think good riddance because he has been such a headache to lots of coaches and to the fan base and for no good reason in my opinion because he doesn't seem to fit any good role yeah i i I do agree with that and i think when when brazo made that acquisition it was 
also at a time when the club had started to toy around with that idea of being a selling club. Uh, according to Transfer Marked, at the time, I know we had seen some numbers that indicated Gravenberg would ultimately cost 25 to $30 million. I think those might have been including some bonus structures that might have been in because Transfer Marked has him as $18.5 million on the fee. Uh, when he made the move to Bayern Munich. So obviously he didn't hit any of those performance-based objectives. Yeah, he didn't, and the, no. the fee stayed low, which if if Bayern can get $30 million for him from Liverpool, it, to me it makes sense. And, yes. and for all the reasons that you mentioned, because he has been disgruntled, it is a bit of a distraction. He hasn't proven anything. And if Bayern truly is one of the clubs that now wants to to fall into that selling mode, investing in a young player and then flipping him, well, they did a pretty good job, I would say, for one year of service. So I, I, I'm oh, definitely OK. I think you and I are de- are aligned on this. Uh, it's not worth the headache to keep him around, especially especially if the Paulina move goes through, because if Gravenberg isn't happy now, what will he be like if you add another body to the mix there? He'll be fully disgruntled. He'll be going to the media probably on a weekly basis. It's not worth it. And, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, the Ryan Gravenberg experiment at Bayern Munich uh, it did not work out on the field, but it seems to have worked out on the budget because Byron could make a little bit of coin off him if th- that number holds true. But you made yes. a, a really excellent point that Liverpool has no incentive <laughs> to pay that much at this point. Uh, given that Paulina news, they could even lowball the offer. So it, it, there are a lot of things that could happen after this podcast is released. Everyone knows you can you can get all of that news on BFW because we will be tracking all of it. But one final thing I wanted to touch on, and we won't spend a lot of time on it, but uh, the Benjamin Pavar era has ended yes. at Bayern Munich. He did make the move to Inter Milan. He had quite a star-crossed career at Bayern Munich. He won a lot. In my mind, maybe not in yours, I need no name. He, he <laughs> did a lot of great things on the field, uh, but what... What happened with his career at Bayern, and I feel like this does tend to to happen to players at Bayern when the roster is so deep, there's that rush and that feeling that they have to get back once they're injured. And Pavar early in his Bayern career did deal with injuries, and he always came back too early, which meant that he would spend the first month of his return really starting to feel himself out on the field, get his legs back, and it usually produced some not-so-great efforts. And I think that built up a worse reputation for him than he probably deserved. But I was more on the I like Pavard side. You were more on the Pavard is a wreck. <laughs> so maybe not that extreme, but you definitely had a good following there with Pavard and, and not really appreciating what he was doing out there. But I think in the end where you and I would come together on this is he was a good acquisition for Bayern Munich at the time. He allowed Hansi Flick and Julian Nagelsmann to do a lot of different things with his versatility. So in my mind, it was a very good move for Bayern overall when, when Pavard came from Stuttgart. But uh, you might have some different thoughts on that. What do you? Uh, well, what's your assessment of Pavard and his time at Bayern? I'm fine with Pavard leaving, to be honest, because it doesn't really matter. What <laughs> matters is that he, he did not... What matters is that we did not get a replacement like we said we would. And it doesn't seem like we're looking for one. So um, what's up with that? What What's going to happen if... Let's say this week against Gladbach, and you know how Gladbach do against us. Mm-hmm. What happens if Matsrawi pulls a muscle or something? What happens then? What who do we play at right back? Because we sent Sanisha John Lone to Leverkusen. 
We don't have any right back backups. So is this the point where we buy Paulinia and have Paulinia and Goretzka in midfield <laughs> gimmick to right back? Because oh my god, that would be I I I, I know. If you listen to our previous podcast, me and Muller era, we did discuss this. And this would be the perfect way to alienate so much of the squad that I would genuinely fear for buying this feature in the next two to three years. It would be like an insane thing. But as for just the Pavard deal in a vacuum, I think it went well. We really did troll Inter by taking it to the last minute. And honestly, like it almost felt like we were putting in some Daniel Levy tactics there by like delaying it and delaying it and then delaying it again, even after a deal was allegedly really achieved and all that stuff. And it's nice to, you know, let another club be on the receiving end of that. Then again, Inter also did their own thing by commenting publicly on our player, which no one apparently gives a crap about when it's a Bayern Munich player being commented <laughs> on. So honestly, the Benjamin Pavard deal, in my opinion, all it tells me is that there are different standards for Bayern Munich because when a player goes on strike at Bayern Munich, no one no one criticizes the player. They're just saying the club should just tell him why, why are they keeping him. This is not right. And the second thing is that when uh CEO of another club comments on the player, on the contract at Bayern Munich, no one cares. They just say, yeah, okay, maybe they want Pavard. Good. It's just so weird. Just so weird. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point about not having that contingency, contingency plan there to to cover right back. I mean, Nusar Mizrahi has, has been really good, but he's also been really injury prone over the course of his career. Bayern is working on a few things. Armel Belakotchap is, is a player who People are saying he can be a right back along with being a center back. I, I don't know. Not again. Mostly Not because, this again. Yeah, I, I I just haven't seen him in that role. I, I don't know, but that's the latest. And of course, by the time this podcast goes live, the situation could be settled. But we've seen half a dozen names about trying to fill that role as a mm. right back and a center back. It is a tough position to fill when you're looking for someone to play both and to play both effectively at a level where you'd be confident on a Champions League stage using that player in either role. I don't know if it's doable. What we do know is Bayern is desperate at this stage if they went out and potentially are going to spend $70 million on a defensive midfielder that they may or may not need. I'm very interested to see what they would spend on a right back slash center back that uh, would probably be needed to play sooner rather than later, given Ms. Rowley's history. I guess the good thing that we do know is Conrad Limer can at least fill in in short spurts at right back if needed. Uh, I thought he did okay last week in that role. I need no name. Any final thoughts before we wrap this one up? I'm just going to say that we don't do final day drama at Bayern Munich. And it's <laughs> very concerning to me that this season is the one where we had this much drama. Usually final days are like complete snooze fest for us. So it really does show that there is a lack of cohesion in the back room. And I hope that the new sporting director, Stefan Freund, he can get things under control here because if he doesn't, we're going to be calling him Stefan Fraud for the rest of his life. So I hope he's ready for that. Yeah, there are definitely some things to be said about the job that he has ahead of him. And coming from, from Salzburg, I'm hoping more than anything that he's able to establish a true pipeline where Bayern can identify and develop young talent so that if the club really does want to be a selling club, they have some assets that are truly worth something. Because right now, every player that the club develops either flounders on loan assignments or fades off into obscurity. Right now, I, I don't even know what to trust 
when we hear that there's a hot prospect coming through the campus because it just seems like forever since one yeah. has really made it. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, bank too much on him doing that because according to a report by, I think it was TZ, that the reason why Stefan Freund was brought in, why did he say Stefan Freund? Christoph Freund. Chris, yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> my brain is just, <laughs> oh my goodness. It's been goodness. a long day. Don't it's worry been a about long, it. It's been a long day. Yeah. It's 11 o'clock here. Anyway, we have one minute left. So what I'm just going to say, Christoph Freund, he was brought in because he is an early Hannes guy. Okay. So what happens here is that Holger Seitz, who was Christoph Freund's former boss, he was the one who pushed for him to be brought in. Holger Seitz is a very close confidant of Uli Hannes and Dieter Hannes, who is Uli's um, brother and also an agent in the youth sector of German soccer. So there is several links here that are going on behind the scenes. There is an article about this. I will link it in the comments of this podcast. And I think we really need to do the outro now because we are almost done. And the Germany stuff we will be talking about in the next flagship episode. Yep. As always, thanks for listening to this. You can get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. Get the site at Bavarian FB Works. And as always, get all of our work at BavarianFootballWorks.com. Have a great weekend, a couple of beers on us, and we'll see you next time. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Good night.